Hello everyone and welcome back to Sightless Fun, a podcast about board game accessibility for people who are blind and visually impaired. I am your host, Ertai Shashko, and today I have the pleasure to talk to Temple Smith, a blind dungeon master. Welcome to the show, Temple. It's great to have you here. It's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So today with Temple, we're going to talk about the visual accessibility of Dungeons and Dragons. He's going to tell us about how he plays the game, how he uses character sheets, how he deals with dice, and much more. But before we get to that, Temple, why don't you tell us a bit about your background? I'm a 54-year-old American living in Oklahoma in the United States. I uh, became blind in uh, 2009 from uh, late-onset type 1 diabetes. And for the last 10 years or so, I've uh, been playing games and hanging out since my health is deteriorated and I can't hold a job for that reason. And I concentrate on keeping myself entertained and helping others. So before 2009, you didn't start playing Dungeons and Dragons after you went blind, correct? It was, do you remember when you first started? Yeah, I started in 1980. Yeah, and back then you could perfectly see. I could see fine. That was I was a teenager in high school and got invited to a game at lunch in the school library. And I haven't stopped playing since then. No, that's great. And do you remember when you started DMing? So that's the shorthand version of Dungeon Mastering. Right. The one who tell, helps tell the story and keep things organized. It was shortly after that, simply because Dungeon Masters are hard to find. It's a lot of work. And uh, you don't get the fun of playing the character. You play all the non-player characters that are in the story, but you don't get to focus on one. So most people don't choose to DM. So I was the one that was willing to step forward and do it in my group. Yeah, I, I bet it's a lot of work. I'm in an online group that's... We're not playing Dungeons & Dragons. We're playing the Dungeon Master's own custom role-playing game. And right. I bet it's a lot of work. And we are going to talk about this a bit later. How often do you play now? And do you DM for one particular group? Or do you have multiple groups that you run? I uh, play twice a week now. I DM for two different groups. One that is my nephew and niece. I'm teaching them how to play. Yeah. And uh, they're uh, 12 and 10. Mm. So that's a lot of fun. And then on, uh, that's on a Saturday. And then on a Sunday, I uh, run a campaign for my friends from high school, the same guys that I started uh, playing D&D with way back when. Oh, that's, that's great. It's great that you still keep in touch with them. I also reconnected with my high school friends thanks to board games. So yeah, that sounds awesome. Could you describe your process of preparing before a session? Back when I started, it's, it's changed over the years. Back when I first started, it was in-depth, and I was basically planning out a novel every time, every session, you know, to put the players through. And so, especially since I've lost my sight, and as I've advanced as a DM, mm-hmm. uh, I put a lot less physical prep work into it and more mental. I figure out exactly... Uh, what they're going to encounter, what situation they're going to have to overcome, whether it's fighting something or figuring out a puzzle or a trap or something. 
And then other than that, I improv the situation going into it. I create NPCs ahead of time, non-player characters for right. them to encounter. But um, by and large, I I improv as much of it as I can. I find that that tells a better story um, than the stuff that I plan out ahead of time. Yeah, and well, you also need to like take into account if people like react to something the way you didn't anticipate. And right, well, improv is always a part of it, um, even when you do all the you know the complete planning. I just work improv into the plan so that, you know, I, I, it's, it's, if you over plan for something in D and D, it's called railroading. Mm. It's where you build railroad tracks and you force your players to stay on that as they ride through and watch the story. Um, I prefer not to do that. I just let them go wherever they want to do. And I improv the situation and eventually they're going to run into whatever obstacle I've got planned for them. Right. Have you ever had any players who would particularly want to be railroaded? Yeah, there are some players that 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 like a more structured environment. None that I'm playing with currently. Mm-hmm. Uh, people, some people don't get the freedom that you get in Dungeons and Dragons. You know, they crave rules and structure and stuff that's that's uh, not really a part of the game. They're the people that ask how you win at Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> so, after losing your sight, how has your process changed? Like, do you spend more time on a particular part during preparation? Yeah, I, I spend a lot more time uh, thinking everything through. I uh, used to, I would sit down and it would take me a couple hours to, pl- to plan a session before I lost my sight, you know, and I planned on improving stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, because I have so much time on my hand, I uh, will sit there and, and work things through in my mind and all the possible different situations that we could encounter and uh, try and come up with clever answers to to all the problems. And It's made me much more thoughtful about my game. It's improved my game. Do you use any like special tools like a smartphone during your play like where do you take your notes do you write them down in a notebook can you still yes. see and read for instance large print yes i use uh i have a cell phone that i use the camera on it mm-hmm. so i can zoom in to see stuff i haven't had to do that in a while i've got a new pair of glasses that give me a slight slightly better amount of sight so i've been able to see a little bit better here lately but uh yeah, I use uh, my laptop computer, which is what I use to uh, Dungeon Master from. And I have a notebook that I keep track of the the hit points of the monster, the health level of the yeah. creatures. And I have a Sharpie, and I write it very large on there so I can see it. And then I just make notes on there as I go mm-hmm. to uh, refer back to later. Yeah, and like, do you have any... Are you running any high contrast settings on your laptop or do you use yes. a text to speech engine like a screen reader? No. I've got enough sight with it and it's got a, my laptop's got a 17-inch monitor so I can kind of lean into it and with high contrast settings and I use um, D&D Beyond which is the uh, program by uh, Wizards of the Coast to run their game in a browser-based system. It lets me have all the monster data, it gives me a searchable database. 
for all the magic and items and things. Right. I've also read that D&D Beyond is also accessible with screen readers. Yes, it is. And they're making it more so. It's it's kind of clunky right now, but they're working to make it much more accessible. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's good to hear. And there's plenty of blind players out there that I have seen on yes. Twitter and stuff. Like, uh, looks like much more so than blind board gamers that I've met since I started this. Well, D&D is a game of imagination. You don't have to have physical things to, to play it. Um, all you have to do is be able to come up with dice rolls, and you can do that with a phone app, Yeah, you know, with voice control. Um, so it's, it's much more a game of, of thought and, and just your own imagination, and anyone can do that no matter how, they, you know, how well they see since you mentioned dice rolls, do you use your phone to handle dice rolls? No, I'm too superstitious about, <laughs> about dice. I I have all these traditions with rolling dice from 40 years of gaming. Yeah. And I have double-sized D&D dice. They're twice as big as the normal ones. Hmm. And they're high contrast. They're black with white numbers. And if I lean into them, I can see them well enough to, to read what's rolled on them. Do you use any desk lamps on your table somewhere where you play, or do you just adjust the room lighting so you can see better? Just adjust the room lighting. Uh, more light. Uh, my eye is light sensitive. I only have one eye, and it's fairly light sensitive. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I needed dimmer light to for me to be able to see well in it. Like my room right now is a cave. It's it's dark in here. <laughs> yeah. And have you have you ever tried any dice rolling apps just just to compare? I mean, yes. because there's systems like modifiers and something that adds to a dice roll. Right. Yeah, I have I've tried uh, several of them, and I was for for a short amount of time I was working on with another person on making a dice rolling app specifically for blind players. Mm-hmm. But then I discovered that. Uh, Siri on the iPhone or Alexa or uh, any of those things will roll Dungeons and Dragons dice for you if you ask it to. And if you know, you, most most players know what their modifiers are. You know, you memorize your character if you play it long enough. You know what those are. Mm-hmm. Just having the the app to roll the dice is is I have found is good enough. Uh, but if uh, if not, uh, Blind Sparrow. It's a company that just came out with a new phone app for the blind the, to roll dice that uh, you can to- totally voice control it and make it do whatever you need for the number of dice or modifiers. Yeah, yeah. they, they specifically aimed the app for blind users. So that yes. it's released on iPhones and I think it also works on iPads. But it's iOS yes. based and it's, it's iOS, yes. And it's fully compatible with VoiceOver. So yeah, I'll drop a link in the show notes to the app oh, so thank you. people can yes. check it out. Also, just to mention, uh, for dice rolling, there's a, a group that I work with that have there are have three D printed Braille dice, and they are uh, Dots RPG. You can find them on Twitter, and and they are great people. They do. A huge amount of work for the blind community, and uh, I'm a big advocate for them. <laughs> yeah, I, I think they also are working with Wizards of the Coast now. Yes, they're working on Braille rule books. 
Yeah, that's for uh, all the D and D books. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's oh yeah, really good. They are great people. Right. Great allies to the blind community. <laughs> oh yeah. How about character sheets? Like one of my bigger problems when playing with my online group. So I don't have anything physical. Everything's on the computer. We are using um, Google spreadsheets for the character right. sheets, and I'm having a bit of a difficulty with my screen reader with that. So how do you deal with character sheets? Before D and D Beyond, because I had to deal with this, I was in a D&D campaign before that before that came out and it was very limiting for me um, what i finally ended up doing was making a character sheet in word in ms word mm-hmm. and because i could see it better in high contrast and a screen reader can read you know a word document without without a problem yes but i had to make my own it just would not work otherwise. I couldn't, you know, I tried different printed out sheets and using, you know, those high contrast pins to write in the numbers. And Mm -hmm. I even tried uh, enlarging the size of the sheet of paper, you know, that the sheet was on and nothing really worked well until I put it on in word and then just used it on my laptop from there. Um, But like, you know, now with D and D beyond, I just use the, the program. That's one of the limiting factors that keeps me in D&D is because really they're the only ones that have a very accessible uh, digital product that you can use to uh, to play the game from. Yeah. Board games usually require plenty of sighted assistance when you're playing with a blind player in the group. And how how is it with you? Like, do you require... Uh, sighted assistance during DMing a, for a group? Yes. Well, I go ahead and use, uh, for a large part of it, I use what's called theater of the mind. It's where I describe what's going on and like we'll have a fight and we'll just do it talking about it with me describing what happens. But some battles that are bigger, I'll use a map that has a grid system and then miniatures that we place out on it to position everyone. And when I do that, I tell the players where everything's supposed to be at and everything, and then they position it all. And then I let them run where the minis are and everything from my description. Because I can see kind of blobs of it, but I can't identify individual minis or or see, you know, distances marked off on the... I had uh, talked to somebody last month that came up with a real good idea for, for the grid system in D&D was to use um, crafting puff paint mm-hmm. that uh, you know leaves a little tactile line that you can feel yeah. to uh, mark the grid system off in that. And then you would be able to feel each little box on the grid mm. to uh, count distance and stuff. I haven't yet tried that, but it sounds like a workable solution. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting idea. So basically make a fully tactile map. Yeah. You just have to be careful not to knock over everything when you're. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the it. one of the problems. And that's yeah, that's a big problem with board games and, and yeah. D&D as well. Yeah, M- uh, games that involve like maps and area control yeah. mechanics, um, they they are a bit troubling. <laughs> yeah, you either need to memorize the map, or if you have something that resembles the real world. For instance, pandemic. Not sure if you've heard right. about the game. Like that's a the yeah, map of it. the world, and you have cities. So 
if you have seen, an, I don't know, an atlas before, a map of the world, it's easier right. like to visualize which city connects to where. But when you have something, I don't know, uh, let's say if you pick a planet from Star Wars, right. yeah, it's, it's much more complicated to uh, learn how things connect and... Yes. Yeah, I recently picked up a game called Castles of Burgundy. So it, it arrived yesterday, and that one has um, has different hex layouts that you need to fill with hex tiles. It's oh, an yeah. abstract game, and yeah, I'm going to play this weekend. So I'll see how I handle hex maps. It will be the <laughs> first game that involves hex maps. Uh, I bet it will require a lot of uh, sighted assistance from my friend. So I imagine. Good yeah. luck with that. Yeah, thanks. Have you ever DM'd for other blind players? Uh no, I haven't. I've uh I haven't even played in a game with other blind players. Hmm. I've uh I just started uh on Twitter back in twenty fifteen, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And uh just kind of fell into the D and D community on here, and then noticed that there were there were other blind players that were involved in the game and everything, and kind of uh, just got involved in the community. But I don't I don't even know other uh, blind people that I see very often around here. I've got some that I've gone to like uh, blind guy training classes and stuff. Yeah, with but not people that I interact with daily. Right. So when you're playing, do you have any like advice to dungeon masters that are sighted but are playing with blind players? Like, is there anything they should change during their descriptions or just in general when describing things? Something that would help blind players? Well, the first and most important thing that a sighted DM can do for a blind player is to ask them what help they need. Mm-hmm. not to assume that this is what's going to help them or this is what they think is best for them, is to ask them. Because blindness, as you well know, is a spectrum, and everybody has a different kind just about. And uh, and that helps more than anything. And then after that, the only thing that, that I've really found that I've needed, since I've you know only been blind for 10 years and I have a little bit of vision left, is my orientation towards what's whatever's going on in the story. And I always ask everybody to use a clock face where they visualize me standing looking at 12 o'clock on the clock and then tell me what's going on around me based on the clock face. Mm, yeah, that's, that's a good tip, actually. And then, you know, you can give distances. You know, it's at 1 o'clock, 15 feet away or whatever from that and then in my mind I can visualize that and I can you know work with it but everything else I mean you know you describe a room you know everybody has an image of what you know they say it's a creepy old dirty room every something pops into everybody's head you know as long as they yeah. you know have had some sight and an experience with it right uh the most difficult part is is trying to help describe stuff for blind people that have been blind since birth because they don't have that frame of reference. And uh, I still haven't come up with a very good solution to that. I've talked to to uh, several people that have been blind from birth about, you know, trying to help work with that and everything. And, 
and none of us have come up with a great answer yet, but we're still working on it. I wonder if there are any blind DMs out there that have been born blind and would like to hear how their experiences and also the players that they DM for, like basically to compare. Yeah. I don't, uh, I, I know of one, uh, person who was, uh, born, but he was born visually impaired, not totally blind. So he has a, you know, some frame of reference, uh, that no, other than that, I don't know of any that, uh, were born blind. Is there a particular Dungeons and Dragons edition that is more accessible compared to the others? Like, is there a difference in accessibility between the different editions? Yes, uh, fifth edition, the current edition, is the only one that works on D&D Beyond. And uh, all the pr- previous editions, I think, are available on PDF, but it's not PDF that's been set up to be accessible from the start. So I'm sure, as you know, that's almost too frustrating to try and use something that's that's not set up ahead of time. D&D Beyond, though, with 5th edition is, is very accessible compared to the others. You know, the, mm-hmm. the stuff, all the information you need is not hidden away in a print book that, you know, you just can't access. And the print, the older print books especially would have images that the text would be printed over. So, you know, and it makes it impossible to, to pick out the words, even with, you know, blowing it up and changing the contrast. Uh, they're working on that too, by the way. I've mm-hmm. complained and campaign (laughs) yeah yeah we've pretty much talked about digital rule books for board games in the past four or five episodes like i mentioned that every episode and like images are a big problem especially with screen readers Uh, well and i understand they're trying to make it you know as visually attractive to the buyer as they can they just need to realize that it's you know blocking off one whole portion of their customer base from actually using it Do you have any advice for blind people who are looking to start DMing? DMing is very rewarding. You get to create worlds and you get to to be the the person that engages the fun for all your friends. You get to entertain an entire table. And uh it's 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 a very rewarding experience. Play playing is a lot of fun and personally gratifying, but when you when you DM, you uh, you help bring joy to others, and that's the best thing there is. I would recommend for any DM, sighted or or blind, to uh, take a a creative writing class to uh, learn how to write a story. It makes you a much better storyteller as a DM, and being a DM makes you a much better writer. But as far as that, I would uh, you know get D and D Beyond. Use it. Don't feel compelled to uh, run uh, pre-generated adventures and stuff. Come up with your own. Even if you don't think it's that great, it's just like any other skill that you develop. You start off limited and not doing the best that you think you can, but eventually you become really good at it. And, you know, homebrewed worlds are the best worlds, in my opinion. They have the most depth. It's mostly just having the courage to try and to do it. And, oh, also uh, join the Twitter uh, role-playing community. Get on Twitter and and uh, locate people there. 
I I steal ideas from other people all the time on there. We help each other out. It's a very nice community. It's not like what most people associate Twitter to be. Uh, they're very kind and caring people that'll help you. Since you mentioned uh, adventures, is there any? Do you have any favorite published adventures? I haven't used a published adventure since the 1980s. Ah. I started making my own stuff, and I've never gone back to doing that. I just prefer building my own worlds. Yeah. And, you know, creating it, creating it myself. And it doesn't matter what genre we were playing back when I was cited, you know, science fiction or superhero or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's just more fun for me to, uh, to build my own. Right. Have you, like, published something on the web uh, for others? Like some adventure that you've run for your friends and then written up about it? No, they keep encouraging me to. I still have all the, because since I do everything on the computer, I have it all there, but I would have to organize it, you know, in a form that other people other than me would understand because <laughs> I tend yeah. to use shorthand, you know, for what I do. And Right. But... uh I might sometime in the future, but I I haven't as of yet. Yeah, yeah, you probably should do that. I mean, if you've been focusing on uh, writing your own stories and stuff, there, there there must be good stories in there worth publishing. Well, thank you. I hope so. Before we wrap up, do you have any other final thoughts you would like to share with our listeners? Yeah, uh, especially for the sighted ones. Go out and find blind players. They may not be aware that uh, these games and systems exist that allow them to participate. So many blind people tend to lock themselves away because they don't think the world's accessible. But there are things out there for for the blind to do, you know, and search them out. Show them Dungeons and Dragons. It's it's amazing. It's freeing. I can't recommend that highly enough. And for blind people that may be listening to it, go try Dungeons and Dragons or any role playing game. If you can, you know, have friends to help you with it, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. You get to be somebody that you're not, and you get to be silly with your friends and have fun. And I still talk with my friends today about stuff that happened thirty years ago in in games. The way that it as if it actually happened to it. We'll sit around and the old guys sit around reminiscing about when, you know, the giant flaming slug fell off the cliff onto the top of us. Yeah. It's uh it's it's a special thing. It's a special bond you get with the people you play with and it's worth doing. Yeah. Do you bring some of the old characters that you used back when you were teenagers to your new stories? Like Sometimes I'll bring them in as NPCs and stuff. Yeah. And occasionally I'll recycle them, you know, to use the a character from way back as a new, bring them back to life in a new story. Mm, yeah, that's it's awesome. And yeah, for other blind players, there was a post on the blind subreddit and they also created a Twitter account called Knights of the Braille. So Jim... Yeah. The organizer's name is Jim. He is organizing online groups to play D&D with. I believe currently he is running two groups. And I think he will start a few more. So all the players are blind or visually impaired. 
as far as I know. Yeah. And yeah, he's also working on some uh, accessibility tools. So you can pretty much play everything using your computer and screen reader. Yeah, I think he will come on the show uh, soon to talk about what he's been working on. And yeah, I'll post a link to that as well. Uh, so if oh, you're yeah. someone who's blind out there listening and would like to try, but you don't have a local group, I also like uh, my friend group isn't into role-playing games, so I'm playing with an online group. And as I've said uh, before, Roll20 is not very accessible, and Roll20 is a website that's mostly used for playing tabletop RPGs online. But yeah, I'll drop a link to Knights of Braille in the show notes as well, so you can get in touch. One of the things I do on Twitter is find gaming groups for blind gamers. If if you really want to play and you want to uh, get into it, Contact me on Twitter, uh, send me a direct message. I'm at Blind Temple on Twitter, and I'll find you a gaming group. I've found, I've have a hundred percent success. I'll find you one. It may be a local one, it may be an online one, but I'll find you a gaming group if you really want to play. Yeah, that's, that's that's awesome. I was just about to ask you about how people can contact you. So, yeah, you can contact uh, Temple at Blind Temple on Twitter, and I will also have a link to his profile in the show notes for easier access. Temple, thank you so much for joining me for this episode. I really enjoyed this chat. It's it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, thank you too. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed this and any of our previous episodes, feel free to share it with your friend. Spreading the word really helps the show. And if you want to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter at sightlessfun or you can send me an email sightlessfun at outlook.com. Also, check out our website at www.sightless.fun Thank you very much and remember, you can still have fun while being sightless. This episode was hosted by Ertan Shashko and edited by Alpai Shashko. We'd also like to extend our special thanks to Fighting Windmills for allowing us to use their music in our podcast. You can find them at fightingwindmillsmk.bandcamp.com.